If you would open your Bibles to Psalm 73, this is our Old Testament lesson for today. Psalm 73 is also a psalm of Asaph and was written a very, very long time ago. And yet, what he writes, he could have written today. <laughs> what he writes um, will sound very, very similar to the sermon you're getting ready to hear. So if you pay attention to Psalm 73, um, then you have kind of my permission to drift off later, and that's fine. So there you go. That's, <laughs> that's not an incentive. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Psalm 73, uh, verses 1 through 28. It's the whole psalm. It's found on page 908 in your pew Bibles. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day, and we thank you for your word that you have given to us. And God, we ask that you would help us to hear it for real. I pray that you would give us ears that are open. We pray that you would give us minds that would understand. I pray that you would have already been preparing our hearts for this message today. God, that we would hear your word and be ready to receive it. That we would be changed and transformed evermore, uh, even today, by your word and by your spirit. Into the people that you've made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Turning then to our gospel lesson, Luke chapter 9. 
verses 28 through 36, which can be found on page 1612 in your pew Bibles. This is uh, just after Jesus has been telling his disciples that he is going to suffer and die. And he says, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And then, in verse 28, about eight days later, or about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves. I did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, our sermon text this morning is Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 21, which you can find on page 1826 in your pew Bibles. Uh, but before we get that, I have to remind you of what Paul wrote earlier in Philippians chapter 3, which we talked about last week, where he says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. In other words, it's okay for him to repeat himself. So I'm going to repeat myself. (laughs) As we've been doing most weeks through this series in giving the context of the whole letter, what is uh, going on with this letter as far as who it is that's writing it, who they're writing it to, when this is happening, where this is going, uh, how this comes to us today. So, uh, if you have been <laughs> if you've been here throughout this whole series this summer, um, this is going to sound like repetition. But I assure you, to say the same things again is no trouble for me, <laughs> and is a safeguard for you. So here we go. Paul is the guy who's writing this letter uh, to the Philippians. Paul is the Apostle Paul who has written most of the books of the New Testament. This is one of them. This letter, though, he's writing, it's called Philippians because he's writing it to the church in Philippi. Now, how does this happen? Where is it coming from first? He's coming from Rome. He's actually in a Roman prison. Well, how did Paul get in a Roman prison? And this is because he keeps telling people about Jesus. And he's been doing this for quite some time now, and he's been traveling around from place to place. And some of the places that he goes, they don't like that he's telling people about Jesus, and so he gets thrown in jail or in prison. And this actually happened when he was in Philippi. When he started a uh, church there, that is one of the things that happened, is he gets thrown in, in jail there in, uh, in Philippi, and one of the, the jailers actually becomes one of the first Christians in that whole city. And so... Uh, But how did Paul get to be doing this? Did he just kind of grow up that way? No, he didn't. Paul, who uh, grew up 
is from Tarsus, who's had Roman citizenship, but was also raised Jewish. He was Jewish by birth, by ancestry. He could trace his ancestry. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, as he describes himself, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And so he was someone who was raised, uh, born the right way, raised the right way, all things Jewish. This was Paul, although at that time he went by Saul, the Hebrew version, not the Greek version. And so as he grows up, he continues to build this uh, kind of resume within the Jewish community, uh, this sort of standing in the spiritual community as well. And uh, where that takes him, though, as he realizes later, we talked about last week, is not closer to God. It actually takes him farther away. Even all the things that he was doing for God, he was actually doing for himself. It was taking him away from God. And so he realizes that now. Now, what, how this realization came was in a pretty dramatic uh, pretty dramatic day, a dramatic event, as he is on his way to go persecute other Christians, to find more Christians that he can have thrown in prison or um, maybe even killed. And on the way there, he meets Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, a bright light, like we saw with the <laughs> transfiguration, this bright, blinding light, like a flash of lightning. Uh, and Jesus talks with Paul. Who is it that... Uh, he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am the one that you're persecuting. I'm Jesus. And from this moment on, Paul's life changes. It goes a completely different direction. He goes on to the city where he was going to be uh, trying to find Christians to get rid of, and instead he goes and ends up preaching about the Jesus that he had rejected before when he realizes that Jesus is uh, the one we should have been following all along. So this is who is writing. This is why he then has had his whole life set on a different trajectory than before, and that's what he's going to talk about again today to the church in Philippi, is all, all of human history, culture, civilization, all of it, from the Garden of Eden to today, has been heading the wrong direction. Unless, unless it's got Jesus at the center. Now, I want you to think about that for a second as what that means when you think about what it means to, you know, go with the flow. <laughs> to go with the flow, not only of those around you, but go with the flow of history and uh, the current events of the day. What it means to go with the flow of people who don't have Jesus at the center of what they're about. Because what that means is you'll be going, you'll be going with the flow for the way of pride, the way of possessions, pleasures, and power. That's the flow of human history. That started in the Garden of Eden. We see it reflected again in the Tower of Babel and on and on and on to today. These are the things that people are basing their lives on. These are the things that people are chasing after. If you don't believe me, you have not been paying attention. (laughs) It's pride. It is possessions. It is pleasures. It is power. This is what we run after. 
And as we just saw in Psalm 73, the people who are going after these things seem to get ahead in the world. And so it's really easy to look at that and say, well, that's the way you get ahead in the world. Why would I not go after those things? But as Asaph realizes in that psalm, when I look at this, I get kind of depressed. (laughs) Seems like those are the way to go ahead, and yet God says don't do that. And so I see everybody else getting ahead, and I'm not getting ahead. But then he realizes kind of what Jesus says later. The first will be last. The last will be first. Don't worry about those who seem to be getting ahead because they're going still the wrong direction. And even as far ahead as you get in that race, that's not the race that you're called to run. So that's where, as we talked about last week, Paul takes a look at everything that he has built up in his spiritual resume, and he takes that entire resume, and he says, to the shredder. (laughs) I don't want any of that anymore. I'm not going to boast about that anymore. I'm not going to brag about that anymore. You know, I had, all, I had built up all kinds of things I could brag about, all kinds of ways that I was making it in this world. And I realized that making it in this world is not what this life is about. So I shred it. And from now on, I boast not in what I've done, not in the family I was born into, not the uh, ways that I have learned the law or followed the law. My boasting is all in Jesus. That's where Paul is now. And so as he writes this letter to the church in Philippi, he says, that's where I am now. And as we've been seeing throughout this letter, he kind of goes back and forth where he says, this is where I am. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm doing. Here's what I want for you. You kind of go back and forth. And so that's what he does again today. So last week we were looking at the earlier part of chapter 3 where he says, you know, I'm not boasting in myself anymore, any of my accomplishments. All my boasting is going to be in Jesus. Um, but I'm not, even, I'm not even there yet. <laughs> I'm still, still growing. But then he says, uh, verses 15 to 21, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. I have to pause here because this is one of the funniest lines, I think, through the whole letter. <laughs> He says, uh, if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. I mean, come on. Doesn't that sound like somebody who's like in an argument with somebody and they're like, look, I know we disagree. I'm right. The end. And one day you'll see that I'm right. Argument over. (laughs) But I think what's really going on here is what uh, probably drove you crazy when you were younger, where you would um, be, (laughs) be told something and you would... You'd say, I don't get it. I don't like, no, no, no. I'm doing it a different way. And the person who is older than you would then sort of patronizingly say, one day you'll understand. And it would infuriate you. And then you got older and you did understand, which almost infuriated you more to find out that they were right. <laughs> like that's what Paul's doing here. Is he's saying, look, I know I'm not there yet, but I know I'm a lot farther along the road of following Jesus than you all are. So there are going to be some areas where, you know, when I say, those of you who are mature, you should have the same attitude that I do. You should have the same attitude that Jesus has. I'm going to shred my uh, resume. It's all going to be about Jesus. And he says, those of us who are mature should take that view. And if you don't have that view, he says, basically, that just means you're not mature yet. That's okay. No baby starts as a grown-up, you know? (laughs) We all start as babies, and we grow, and we mature. And so he says, if you're not there yet, 
It's okay. But that doesn't mean wait until you get it all before you start doing anything. And that's where he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. If you uh, ever have gone through a math class of any sort, you know they have the, the textbook with the problems all the way through it. You don't read through the entire book, and only after you've read through the entire book do you start back and start working on the problems. That's not how math works. You start in chapter 1, and you start working those problems. And as you work those problems, and you begin to learn and grow and understand some of these concepts, then you move on to the next ones, and you just keep on going. And so what Paul is saying is, look, you may not understand the things I'm telling you from chapter 18 yet. (laughs) Just work the problems you've already got. Go ahead and live out, put into practice the teachings you do know from Jesus. Do that now. God will make the rest clear as, as you go and as you grow. So put that into practice now. Here's how we do that. This is uh, verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Why? If all of human history, every person has been going the wrong direction, if we don't keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we're going to go the wrong direction. And he says, and so what we're doing is we're trying to follow Jesus. And if you want to see what that looks like, don't watch the rest of the world. Watch those of us who are trying to follow Jesus. And join together and do that together. Keep your eyes on those of us who are actually trying to follow Jesus. Keep your eyes there. I'll give you just a second to think about the people in your life who you ought to have your eyes on. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And then he also tells us why this way. He says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Does that sound familiar? This is normal. This is natural. For people to live as enemies of the cross of Christ. What does that mean to be an enemy of the cross of Christ? I think this is Paul's shorthand for saying, just like what he talked about in chapter 2 of Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is a very different way than the way of the world. It's not going after pride. It's not going after possessions. It's not going after the pleasures. It's not going after power. It's the giving up your rights for the good of others. That is so not the way of the world. But it is the way of Jesus. And so Paul says there are plenty of people who live as enemies of that way. They don't live that way. They don't want you to live that way. They don't want anybody to live that way. They didn't want Jesus to live that way. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. They want to go an entirely different direction and drag anyone else along with them that they can. But he says, 
kind of what we saw in uh, Psalm 73 as well. Their destiny is destruction. While it may seem they're getting ahead in this world, that does not mean they're getting ahead. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. The very things they ought to be ashamed of are the very things they're bragging about. So the reason for this is their mind is set on earthly things. But, so, but that's not who we are. Is but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Do you hear some joy there in how he writes that? That our citizenship is in heaven. That is not a destiny of destruction. That is not a mind set on earthly things. That is, um, we have a different, a different king, a different country, a different citizenship. I think one of the problems with that that we have, though, is sometimes we think that is a difference of relocation instead of transformation. That's what I mean. When I was showing the kids my passport, and we talk about where we need our passport, that sort of thing, um, we typically think of that as in crossing borders. And so when we think of we're a citizen of a different country, we think of, well, then you have to go to a different place. And so we think of it as though we are actually citizen, citizens of a place that is far away, but right now we're here, but someday we'll go to that other place. That's really not the way the Bible talks about it almost ever. There are a few places where you can kind of make it that way, but <laughs> instead it's more like what we see um, in the promised land of Israel when you have other nations take over, but there are still Israelites living there. And it's sort of this longing for one day this land will be restored to its rightful country, to its rightful leader, to its rightful king. And so that's sort of the, uh, the view of the entire earth, that one day the earth will be restored to its rightful kingdom. And so right now uh, it, is not, it is not ruled in the way of faith, hope, and love. It is ruled in the way of pleasures and power and possessions. But he says, that's not our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not a citizenship of, the, uh, of, of those things, of the powers and the pleasures. No. We have a different king who has a different way. And that is our kingdom that we belong to. That is the one that we have citizenship. That is the one where we have the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in this kingdom, that we belong there. And he says where our hope comes from is that one day this kingdom will come in fullness. The good news Jesus came declaring, and the first things out of his mouth, as uh, you read in Mark, as he goes out preaching, what is he proclaiming? That the, the good news, that the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what Paul is saying is what we are looking forward to now is that the kingdom of heaven will come in fullness. And so we have this longing for maturity, this longing to grow up into the people who fit in that kingdom. Because by nature, none of us do. But the good news is that if we have been adopted into this family, if we have been welcomed into this kingdom, if we have received the Holy Spirit, that is what he does in us, is he transforms us into people that fit in this kingdom. 
And so you think about, um, oh, when I think of Transformers, I always think of Transformers when I played with as a kid. But anyway, <laughs> if that helps you, good. If not, ignore it. More than meets the eye. Anyway, but God has given us things beyond little robots to play with. He gave us things like caterpillars that actually transform into butterflies who go from a, um, an existence of crawling around on the ground to actual flight. That is amazing. That is a transformation. But I think even more helpful is the tadpoles that turn into frogs. If you can imagine a tadpole swimming around in a little pond with a bunch of fish, little minnows are all swimming around together, and suddenly the tadpole starts growing legs, and the tail starts shrinking, and all the minnows start making fun of him. Because, boy, does he look like a funny fish, right? You don't fit here anymore. But what is coming is that this pond is drying up. And one day, this will not be an environment fit for fish anymore. And if you don't have legs that can hop and lungs that can breathe air, you're not going to make it. This is what the tadpole has to look forward to, is life in the same place, but a place that's been transformed. But I want you to also hear this. We talked about the enemies of the cross. And sometimes people will say, you need to talk about loving your enemies. And I don't have any enemies. There's nobody I'm, you know, I have sort of friction with, that sort of thing. But what if everyone who is an enemy of the cross of Christ is your enemy? Because they are those who will be trying to take you away from Jesus. Maybe not in an antagonistic way. Maybe just luring you away, pressuring you away, however it is. Maybe that just because they're an enemy of the cross of Christ and the way that they live and the, where their focus is and where they're headed in life, maybe just that in and of itself makes them your enemy. That's where we have the call to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, right? And this is why when Paul talks about this, there's this mixture in how he talks about it, both in the joy you hear in his voice as he says, you know, our citizenship is in heaven, and this is what we have to look forward to, and we're going to be transformed so that our lowly bodies will be like his glorious bodies. We will be fully fit for this kingdom that's coming. That's exciting, and that's wonderful, and it's very good. But did you notice he said that he says this? He's told them a lot before. He tells them again, but he tells them, with tears? Do you think those are tears of joy? Or do you think they're tears of sadness? For those who are also swimming in that pond with him, who don't believe it's going to dry up, who think this is the way it's always been, this is the way it will always be. So I'm going to do my best to get ahead in this world. And he grieves because he knows there's so much more than the things of this world. I hope everyone here can hear this message, can hear what Paul is saying, that Jesus is a different king.
king, that he has a different way, that he has provided a spirit to transform us into people who will be fit to the kingdom that is coming. That we'll hear it for ourselves first, but not last. That after we have heard it for ourselves, that we will be sure to be those, to share it with those who are living the way everyone has lived in pursuit of the power and pleasures and possessions that this world has to offer. Let them know that way is normal and natural, but it doesn't have a happy ending. Unless, like Paul, you meet Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.